Radiotopia. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters present PRX. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. The Kitchen Sisters Present is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This story is dropping Tuesday, October 18th. We're recording this intro while visiting the podcast Garage near Boston. Fall 2022. Our thoughts turn to the foliage that is about to explode and to the upcoming election, which too may explode. The changing leaves and the changing country. Our minds center on democracy, on civic engagement, on voting. Foliage season, election season. I live in San Francisco, and when I drive by the corner of 16th and Valencia in the heart of the Mission District, I pass a sprawling building with a big sign painted on it, Manny's, a civic gathering space. During the pandemic, when every restaurant in town was building a parklet on the street, Manny's too built a long string of socially distant outdoor booths. Instead of serving food, they ran a highly organized get out the vote campaign with their parklet, where citizens flocked to text and phone bank as the 2020 election loomed. Manny's corner caught our eye, and over the months, we started taping. The Kitchen Sisters present Manny's, a civic gathering space. This is Manny's Kickstarter interview, take one. Once no. <laughs> I get it now. 2018. Okay, let's talk about this. Hi everyone, my name is Manny Acutiel, and we are in Manny's, the space that I am building with the help of many, many people on the corner of 16th and Valencia in the Mission District in San Francisco. My name is Manny Acutiel. What do I do? Mainly, I'm the owner of Manny's in San Francisco, a civic gathering space. It's a physical place to go to engage in politics and get more involved. I'm also on the board of our public transportation agency, the SFM. I'm on the board of the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. I'm on the board of the Valencia Corridor Merchants Association. I'm involved in the Jewish Federation of the Bay Area. I also have a variety of civic side hustles, fun ideas that I can't seem to get out of my mind. And so in order to save brain space, I just do them as opposed to thinking about them. What does light mean to you? Light brings hope. 
These are dark times. 2021. And in these dark times, we wanted on Valencia Street to bring light back to this community. String lights all the way from 14th Street we raised money on GoFundMe to light up Valencia Street to help bring business back. Found willing merchants to allow us to plug into their own power, hired an electrician, and put them up in a few months. What's our goal, Manny? Our goal is $39,600, which is what it's going to take to build a permanent string of lights. After the success of Valencia, the idea came about to expand it to other parts of the city and raised about $750,000, and 12 different commercial corridors are going to get lights as well. My name is Precious Green. I am the Director of Programming here at Manny's. We are a civic engagement space located in the heart of the mission in San Francisco. Pretty much every weeknight, we have some conversation or event. Congressman Adam Schiff. Yes, Congressman Adam Schiff, Burbank, California. Manny's is a great convening place. Uh, it's recognize people throughout the city and beyond as a place to come together to hear about current events, share a sense of community with each other. It's a delight to be back. It's my second time. We have book talks, dancing, poetry, authors like Ezra Klein and Michael Pollan, Jelani Khan. 17 of the presidential candidates come in 2020. Kamala Harris, Dr. Biden. Every month we do an old school town hall. One of our biggest events this summer, which I think really epitomizes what civic engagement is, the Department of Public Works held a community forum here to talk about the new trash can pilot. Seeing people like passionate about these trash cans, about different designs. The Slim Silhouette, the Salt and Pepper, the Big Bear. This is gonna be history in the making. 2022. We, we want the feedback. We wanna know how you feel. We're already the forerunner of all the tech companies, but why not have a smart garbage can? I live in the Tenderloin, the big deli garbage cans with like the solar receiver on the top. Those things are vandalized and like burnt and scorched. I'm curious what the vandalism security aspect is in these new units. Well, I like the big bellies because I like the foot operated part. And the I long elated bars on the new cans, the rodents can't crawl up. Okay, you got the cans with the little circles on it. Okay, they're, they're living in there, they're in there. It's not going to happen with that salt and pepper can. You have to have a large key, it has to go in there, you have to turn that knob, and then it opens up like, like I said, like Star Trek. You know, it's like, <laughs> I love it, I'm sorry. It looks good. They tagged one of the cans, I think on 26, and Petrero wiped right off. Before the internet, people used church basements, union halls, membership clubs, Freemasons to work through things. But times have changed. I don't think my generation is as comfortable going to a synagogue or a church to find community. And a lot of these membership organizations don't have members anymore. The idea is that there should be at least one place, I think in every city, where if you wanted to end your workday and go do something civic or political, meet an elected official, learn about an issue that's affecting your community, there should be a place that does that. These third spaces that are not work and not home. What triggered it? Why did you open Manny's when you did? It was seeing many people in the wake of Trump's election ask the question, where do I go? Where do I go to get more involved? I need to do more. And because I had been on Secretary Clinton's campaign, people were asking me that question, where to go? And I didn't know where to send them. 
So I thought, this is strange. There's literally millions of people right now who want to do more, and there's nowhere to send them. So I started doing research on the concept, and very quickly, just like my civic side hustles, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I decided to build so it. So the goal of Manny's is to create a central place where people know to go to, to become better informed and more involved citizens. I come from the world of politics and activism, and I am building a politically themed coffee shop, bookstore, bar and event space. In I'd gone from the Obama campaign straight to this immigration reform advocacy group campaign. And I was like, the one thing I won't do is get on another campaign. Certainly not political finance or fundraising. And two weeks after I left, I was on the 24 bus and I got a call from a blocked number. The person who called me said, should Secretary Clinton choose to run for president, would you want to be on her team? And I thought, wow. Hillary Clinton, I mean, I remember I was a White House intern and I remember seeing her walk into the West Wing. Everyone stopped what they were doing just to watch her walk by. She had a presence that I will never forget. And I thought about it and that night I said yes. It was a huge honor. One of the first employees on her campaign representing Northern California and Silicon Valley on the finance team. Extremely difficult. And I feel very proud that I was a part of it. The hardest part of it for me, the process of fundraising as my contribution to the cause, it's not why I got involved in politics. I know it's very important to raise money for campaigns and for elected officials, unfortunately. It's the system we have. And ultimately the reason why I left was because I was turning into a person I didn't want to be. You need to be raising money constantly. I just knew that I had to stop. I did a variety of different things, political consulting, I worked at a coffee shop. I fell in love with a wonderful, stormy, complex, did I say beautiful? Beautiful, contemporary ballet dancer. And generally was actually quite lost. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Started to not panic, but worry that I wasn't gonna find something that filled me up. Thankfully, I had fallen for this man and I went on tour with him all over the world and used that time to explore this idea. I went to different political coffee shops and civic spaces in different countries. I went to Cuba and some of the places in Cuba where folks sit and think. Some of the original coffee houses in Paris where the revolution was cooked up and announced. Cafe Procope where Benjamin Franklin used to take his meetings and the encyclopedia was written for the first time. So there are still places in these countries that aren't gone. Even Le Dumago, which is a famous French coffee shop where the philosophers would sit and read, I was able to go there and speak with the manager and interview him about why here, why this coffee shop, what table, what was it about this table that Sartre wanted to come and write at. Paris, Cuba, and of course Washington DC has places like Busboys and Poets and Politics and Prose, and so was able to speak to the owners of those two establishments. One of the things I did on my love tour with Rob was I proposed 36 questions that I would need to answer if I was going to do this project. Things like, how's the business going to work? Who is Manny? Why you? Why should you do this? What will the programming be? What should it feel like when you walk in? From the music, to the decoration, to the atmosphere. 
I thought since I'm building a political coffee shop, I should hark back to those first ones. The first coffee houses that were ever built were built in the Ottoman Empire, and they immediately became political spaces because there were no other secular gathering spaces in the empire. Immediately people would go to these new coffee houses and they would use them to plot the overthrow of the Sultan. The decoration and the look is something I'm very familiar with, kind of contemporary Middle Eastern Ottoman. My father's from Afghanistan. The rugs at Manus are the rugs that I grew up with. The rug that I learned to walk on is in the event space. So I wanted it to feel like a home, like a living room. Living rooms are the places that we let our guard down and have hard conversations and are able to feel more okay looking dumb or asking something that otherwise might make us judged. 2018. We had about four months to completely demolish the space and rebuild it from scratch. We got our permit to operate 45 minutes before our opening party. People were still hanging the drapes and we had 500 people around the block. It was my vision to open on election night in 2018. I wanted the very first event to show that we need spaces like this to watch things like the midterms. When Manny set this place up, it seemed obvious that it wasn't going to support itself just as a business. So from the very beginning, we created a sponsor program, close to 500 people who give anywhere from $36 a month or more. And that's the way there's enough resources to keep it going, the staff, I have all the events and not have to charge too much. My name is Jim Hass. When Manny was putting this together three years ago, I came over and interviewed him and saw his business plan, and I decided he was the real deal, and what he was doing was unique and important, and I wanted to be part of it. You come into our living room, where we have the bulk of our events. This is where our stage is. We have our bookshop, a bookshop with no pressure to buy books primarily around politics, local history, great ideas. I'm Sydney Jackson. I'm a barista at Farming Hope at Manny's, a nonprofit organization that partners with Manny's and they run the kitchen here. It's also a job training program that helps formerly incarcerated people, people who deal with addiction. 2020. Hi there, it's Manny. Two years ago, I came to you with an ask from right here to help me build a physical space for us to come together. Now, 70 days before the most important election of our lifetime, I'm back. We're gonna build the country's first outdoor, socially distanced victory booths. We called it the victory booths. We were being aspirational. We transitioned to using the outdoor space in front of Manny's, over 120 feet of what was parking space, and built 25 outdoor booths for people to write letters, make phone calls, and text bank for the months leading up to the 2020 election. We made over 3 million phone calls, sent over 25,000 letters to swing state voters, and sent millions of text messages. Governor Newsom and almost all the elected Democrats of the Bay Area all took over booths and made calls on election day. See you on election night. There is this perception of San Francisco being this uniformly progressive, left-of-center space. The reality is more complex. Even with that as your backdrop, you still have people who disagree, just fundamentally disagree on a particular issue. This summer, San Francisco had one of those moments, but it made national news. Mayor London Breed says she will not be marching in the city's annual Pride Parade after a decision from the Pride Board 
not to allow LGBTQ members of law enforcement to walk in the parade in uniform. San Francisco Pride announced that police officers could march, just not in uniform. In response, the officer said they'd be boycotting Pride, they wouldn't march at all. And the sheriff and the fire department decided to join them in boycotting Pride. Then the mayor decided to join them and boycott Pride herself, which was a historic thing to do considering it is San Francisco. And then some LGBT organizations started to boycott the mayor for boycotting Pride. And I saw all that happen over the weekend and thought, this is just so wrong. I texted SF Pride. I texted the SFPD, LGBT officer liaison. I said, if the other person is willing to come to Manny's this week, would you be willing? They both said, if she's willing, I'll do it. Hi, you two. Day one of Pride at Manny's, and we're having this conversation. I'm so honored that you would trust me with this conversation. We got to talk about this stuff, right? Like we actually have to talk in person. So thank you very much. My name is Catherine Winters. I'm a police officer with the San Francisco Police Department. I first joined- My name is Suzanne Ford. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I have served for three and a half years on the board of directors at San Francisco Pride. I brought the two trans women on stage and we had a heartfelt, hard conversation. It's taken a few years for me to gain, I think, the trust and ability to quickly convene hard conversations in a safe way. We've got a real mixed audience in here, right? We've got folks in uniform, folks not in uniform. And it's super important for me that everyone feels welcome and safe here. My only request is if we talk about something or we say something that makes you feel a certain way, keep it to yourself and then express it when it's time for audience Q&A. Catherine, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here and what you do. I first joined in 1998. I did leave the department in 2006 and moved to Texas, which is where I went through my gender transition because California is too easy, right? Let's go to Texas. <laughs> I applied to a police department in Texas. Got 99.9% sure the reason why they told me I couldn't move further in the process was because of who I am. 2018, I came back to San Francisco. If I wasn't able to do law enforcement in Texas because I really felt trans representation law enforcement was important, I figured the next best was to come back to where I came from. Well, welcome back. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Suzanne. You know, I had fought for other people's rights during my life. I went to Howard Law School. I've always been interested in civil rights, but I didn't, I didn't fight for my own rights. I hid, and I hid for a lot of years. I was 46 years old when I transitioned. At the same job with my same wife, family, and ever since I've transitioned, I've known I wanted to give back. Maybe starting with you, Suzanne, can you talk about the genesis of the decision by Pride and the Pride Board? So how did we get here? Part of our community, a lot of the trans community, black and brown members of our community, more progressive members of our community have questioned why we have the police in the parade. It's not something that's new. We've heard that what happened after 2019 and the pressure that grew out of George Floyd. We all were involved in the conversation about policing in the United States. In March, we made a proposal to Catherine and the Pride Alliance, three points, but the fourth point, the sticking point was, we asked them not to march in full uniform. We did not get a response until last Monday when the press release came out with the position of the Pride Alliance. And so that's why I'm here. Okay, thank you for that, Suzanne. Catherine, you were with the Pride Alliance in the SFPD. As I've talked to my friends, they're like, 
It doesn't seem like that should be that big of a deal. It's a compromise. They're allowed to march in pride. They're just asking them to wear a t-shirt, not the uniform. Isn't that a fair compromise? So what does the uniform mean to you? When I put on my uniform, when I pin the star on my uniform every day, there's a sense of responsibility to my community that I have to go out there every day and help people on what's oftentimes their worst day. I can't let it be my worst day when it's their worst day. Also, for me, as a trans woman, there, there's this recognition that there were LGBTQ officers before me who had to fight for their right to be a police officer. They had to fight for the right to be able to march in pride in a uniform. So there's a sense of responsibility to my elders. And at a time when there's parts of the country where our rights as LGBTQ people are legitimately at risk, I, I, just, I can't imagine that we would ask anyone within our community to give up a right. What's your reaction to that, Suzanne? You're hearing Catherine express her feelings about mm -hmm. this. And we did realize that it, it wasn't a little thing that we asked. I, I understand that. I used to wear a U.S. Army uniform, and I knew the person beside me would die for me because of that uniform. And it was a unifying thing. And I realized that. However, and in my mind, the, the police is about the community. Parts of our community have felt a lot of pain about the police. I know if I follow the rules, I don't break the law, I'm pretty sure tonight I'm going to be fine. I don't get nervous when I see police officers. I know there are people in our community that don't feel that way. And I'm with those people and I'm responsible to them. I'm trying to find the solution. The police have been upset with this. The mayor's upset with this. White, powerful people in the city are upset with this. We asked them to wear some polos or T-shirts. We didn't ask them to be unarmed. We're dealing with issues that are way beyond just LGBT officers in uniform, but an issue with police as a institution. I guess my question maybe to both of you is, pride seems to be, it's being made an example of a much larger issue. And I have to say, as just a common observer of it, I'm sad because it's pride and pride was a riot and a protest and it has evolved into what, at least in my perspective, is a celebration of all the aspects of our community, especially this damn pride, right? So how do you feel about where it is now, 2022? How are you feeling about Pride this year and how are you feeling about it? I'm sad. A significant portion of my energy has been this matter instead of making sure that we have the celebration. We came out of a pandemic. San Francisco Pride hasn't had real revenue in two years. We needed to raise $2 million eight weeks ago to make sure that everybody in the city has a free, free, San Francisco Pride is free. It's almost the only one left. So I feel on one hand, I'm like, I'm like angry. But then second part of me knows we're uniquely situated to have these conversations. We cannot solve policing in America. We cannot solve the rainbow washing of pride. But we can do a better job of being the platform where these discussions like this, and I'm super glad we're having it because young people see one thing, older people see another. I get that we have to celebrate all the work that's been done, but there's a ton of work still to go. And young people, they demand that we keep doing that work. How do you feel about pride this year? I'm just, I'm not feeling it this year. That's hard for me because 2019 
when I marched with my daughters was also my first time marching as an out trans woman in my uniform. And when I came around the corner on the market and heard the cheers for us, I literally broke down in tears. It was one of the most emotionally moving experiences of my life. For the first time, I got to bring all of me to pride. Me as a trans woman, me as a mother, me as a police officer, as a San Franciscan, as everything that I am walked on the market street that day. Gosh, I really hope that you can march this year. I, I don't know. I'm an optimist. I'm just maybe a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed gay Afghan Jewish man up here. But like, <laughs> I really hope we can figure this shit out in the next three weeks because I want you to march. I want to find a way for you to march. And I want to find a way for you to lead your organization with dignity. You know, I grew up in an ultra-Orthodox Jewish family. I wasn't even allowed to talk to non-Jews until I was 15. So being gay, if I had come out, I would have been kicked out of my school, excommunicated from my family. I remember having a bag packed in my closet with my social security card, enough food for a week, clothes to last on the street in case somehow my family found out I was gay. I knew exactly where I would go. I knew what my route would be. So when I first marched in pride, just to say those three letters was like ending my life. Now here I am marching and all these people can see me. What makes pride relevant is that people still have to come out every single day. Pride can be that moment for us. And so that's why I think it's really important that as San Francisco, we work this out. I asked them to ask each other a question. What do you want to know from each other? I want to ask you to ask the person next to you a question that's on your mind. Let me start with you, Suzanne. Did you really ever consider wearing polos instead of a full uniform? The idea of polos was something that was never brought up until an email a couple of days ago. So and let's be honest, a polo, what queer person is going to wear a polo? I mean, <laughs> we haven't worn a polo since 1992. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, is it fitted? Are we two buttons? Okay, go ahead. Sorry, it is a serious question. Yeah. Or t-shirt. Plug in t-shirt there, any shirt. Did I think about it? Yes. I didn't just dismiss it off the bat. I had to put some thought into it. I had to, to talk to people. The other three asks were really three things that I felt could bring the community together and that we could, could reach a better compromise on, on the fourth. You know, we were asked to do four things and we agreed to three of the four. And my my question for Suzanne is... What do you say to those people who say LGBTQ officers aren't part of the community? No, I think I've made sure in any time I was interviewed or questioned about this, I absolutely know that the LGBTQ officers are part of our community. You're my trans sibling. There's no way around that. I think we stood up to people in our community that don't see you as that. And that's not a huge number, but they exist. They have every right to make that known, but I don't agree with them. If I didn't think you were in the community, then I would be against you marching at all. And I don't hold that position. I definitely think we ought to honor the police officers that are LGBTQ and serving in San Francisco. But I think you should show up in a different way. Can we get, look at those, the, the everyone smush back there. Oh, let's get some, oh, we're getting more chairs. Okay, good. My last question before we get to the audience is about what a compromise could look like. 
the hard thing about this, and this is kind of the world we live in, is people have posted things, social media is out there, everyone's opinionated, everyone's said what they're going to do, and I'm not doing this, I'm doing this. And it makes it really hard, I think, at this point to maybe come to a, a new agreement based on all the things that have been said. Because unfortunately, we live in a world where it's not just us sitting in a room, it's anyone in the world that's watching us. And the world is watching us right now because we are San Francisco and people come here from all over the world to be queer, especially places where it isn't safe. So I guess my question to you all is like, what could happen? Let's, let's forget this, everyone else in this room. Seriously, like would some kind of, you marched in t-shirts this year, but you were able to march in uniform next year. What might you need to hear? Or, or, or is there any space for you to come back to the negotiating table and consider marching again? That also understands that Suzanne has not just an organization, but a very wide and diverse community that's watching what she does and make sure that she doesn't do anything that breaks their trust. Yeah, absolutely. I want to march more than anything, but I want something that honors our community and honors the struggle of the LGBTQ officers who put everything on the line to be able to serve openly and proudly and march in uniform. Okay, as the Manny of this stage, I will just say this, as and, and just with Mishpacha up here, I really do hope that we can figure this out in the next three weeks, I do. Honestly, I don't want my mayor not marching in pride, but this is San Francisco, this is the city of Harvey Milk. I believe in us that we can work this out. Even though I'm annoyed that pride is becoming the stage for this, I think at the very least, but here we are, we're on this stage, we're talking. So I really hope that the two of you and the organizations you represent can find a way to have this parade happen that heals more than hurts. There's no choice. There have to be police at the event. We would not be able to get the permit we would not be able to get insurance. When we started this conversation, Catherine let us know that if they were gonna be identified as police officers, they had to have weapons. And we, we honored that, we, we, okay, we understand that. If we, it makes sense to us. They have to be there. We're working with them. We owe them that they are protecting us. We asked them to wear some polos or t-shirts. We didn't ask them to be unarmed. All right, let's get one more question uh, in. Manny, oh, Manny, can yes, I please. Just issue yeah, a point of clarification. This may be some miscommunication on the board because, so the fact that you said that we could still have uh, our gun belts with us, we were actually told by a board member that it was T-shirts and no gun belts. If okay, it so if it had been polos with like pride patches and like the bottom part of a uniform, we wouldn't be here today. Let, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just pause. I want to make sure I heard that properly. So if you're saying you could wear you could wear a polo with your patches. Even though we know how we feel about polos. A shirt, a gun, and a patch. You would be okay with that. Yeah. But are there any reactions that you have to that? No. I mean, San Francisco Pride, in everything we said, never said anything about weapons. We never told the police they can't have weapons. We said full uniforms. Okay, whatever was said before, yeah. I honestly don't care. Yeah. Like, here we are now. It's June 1. Yeah. So what you're saying is if you had a gun, you were able to, a T-shirt, a polo, something that not full, but you, you would feel more comfortable. You would feel comfortable. I feel I could get my Pride Alliance to say, yeah, if we could have that, we could march. It happened. The two of them came up with it. 
right there on the spot. Then afterwards, they huddled, and the next day, it was announced that the officers would be marching in Pride again, and the mayor. And I asked the officer Winters the next day, you know, what was the determining factor for that decision? And she said, it wasn't even on the table before the event. She hadn't even met Suzanne in person ever. And all their conversations had happened over Zoom or over phone. There are some conversations that can only be had in person. And this was one of them. It was spiritual. I felt spiritually lifted. What's going through your mind these days? Well, currently I'm wondering how much longer this interview is going to be so that I can keep packing. <laughs> I'm leaving tonight to Tel Aviv. I'll be in Israel for a month to see my family and slow down. And then I'll be in Europe for a bit, a few weeks, and then Provincetown and Burning Man. I don't know why, but I feel just compelled to go. Sometimes you need some distance to remember why you're here and what you're doing. There's a part of me that resists this life. There's no division between who you are and what you do. When you've chosen this work, when you've chosen politics, activism, social justice, you don't turn it off. I can't. I'm on the MTA board. When I, when I go on the streets, all I can think of is, why is the pavement this way? And you know, the bus is late and the paint's cracked and we gotta fix it. There's a danger in that. You can burn out and you can forget who you are beyond what you do. Do you imagine coming back to Manny's in the fall? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it has my name on it. And I have to say, being a public and involved, openly gay small business owner has been important for me. To see that you can be gay and still build a space and run a space and kick some ass. I mean, that SF Pride event, like, that's useful. I mean, at the end of the day, that is, I think, what we're all searching for, is just to feel like we're doing something useful. We're making the world slightly better, and I feel that with Manny's. So yes, I want to come back. But I want to come back better than ever. Manny's, a civic gathering place, was produced by the Kitchen Sisters, Nikki Silva and Davia Nelson, in collaboration with Brandy Howell and Nathan Dalton. Thanks to Precious Green, to the staff of Farming Hope, thanks also to Valerie Velardi, who led us to Manny's, to Magdiela Mata, and to Manny Yakutio for the time and the vision. Okay, after over six months of waiting, finally we can announce today All Out SF. October 2022. October 16th to October 23rd. A week-long festival to celebrate San Francisco and give people opportunities to make it better. Support for our stories comes from the Robert Sillins Family Foundation and contributors to the Kitchen Sisters productions, including Judith Belzer and Michael Pollan, Sue Struck, Natalie Channon, Natalia Combs-Green, and Gail and Joe Ortiz. Thank you all for your spirit and support. There are eight days of events, ranging from small business flash mobs to free music concerts in Golden Gate Park to over 12 trash pickups in one day to clean up all of the trash in San Francisco. The Kitchen Sisters present as part of Radiotopia from PRX, a network of handcrafted, independent, vibrant podcasts that widen your world. Everything's free for the most part, and we're working with like 17 different partner organizations to make this happen. I'm really, really excited about it. So please go to alloutsf.com to sign up and share and spread the word because the only way that this is going to work is if we all do it together.
It's an election year, have you noticed? But does it feel like our democracy is running smoothly? Does it feel like our leaders are responsive to our needs? If you don't think so, you're not alone. So the question is, how can we start to fix it? Luckily, there are things we can do right now to get us back on track. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group of shows, hosts, and networks who are banding together to try and make things better. We're partnering with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization working city by city and state by state to pass laws that protect democracy and improve it. We need a system that works for the American people, not just special interests. And you can do your part. Go to represent.us slash podcast. That's represent.us slash podcast to join the movement today. Radiotopia.